Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree, and we have a wonderful guest with us today, author Amanda Sinelli. Amanda, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Please Hi. introduce yourself to everyone. <laughs> um, I'm Amanda Sinelli. I am an author with Harlequin Presents. And I don't know what else to say about myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely like the most awkward thing when you're like yeah, put on the spot. I, I more, like, <laughs> every single fact about my life in one yeah. book. I promise I'm trying not to do that. <laughs> so you yeah. have had quite the journey that's led you to the path you're on now, writing romance. Yeah. You pursued a degree in fashion design because like I was reading your website and you like talked about how you grew up you just loved like writing stories and drawing pictures of like pretty dresses and stuff like that but then you started working in child care which I thought was (laughs) even more fascinating (laughs) and then it was 2011 you participated in NaNoWriMo which I have never done but just watching YouTube and like following aspiring authors I know how that is kind of a big deal in like the aspiring writer Mm -hmm. world Uh, and what is so inspiring about the story you shared on your website is that although you chat about how the book you wrote for NaNoWriMo was terrible it made you realize you had a new dream and that was to become a published writer what was it about that process of NaNoWriMo specifically that brought you to that realization um yeah I'd only just started writing um so when I was 21 my husband um bought me like this tiny little laptop um like it was so small it was nearly just slightly bigger than a mobile phone at the time and um I decided you know I got that notion of like I'm gonna write a book (laughs) (laughs) you can't have a typewriter and not think of writing right I've always been real kind of arty like I I can create magic and then I give up five seconds in so everyone kind of rolled their eyes at me like oh you're gonna write a book now cool yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) um yeah I'd always try lots of different things but and we actually moved out in our first apartment and I'd started working in a new job and I think I was kind of looking for a new project I suppose and I seen somebody talking about NaNoWriMo and I was like, what's that? That sounds cool. You know, it was like <laughs> November. I like the word. I'm one of those people. I like words. And when I seen the word NaNoWriMo, I was like, oh, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> looking. And um, I, I'd had this idea, like so cliche. I was working as a nanny. And I had this idea for a story about a nanny, you know, Mm, (laughs) you're writing a story like it's not me, but it is me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just was like, okay, you know, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to see that, you know, 1660 words a day or something like that. That's so easy. I can do that. You know, that's nothing. (laughs) (laughs) So I sat down every evening and I would bring my laptop into work with me sometimes as well, because the youngest baby would sleep and I would have have kind of an actual lunch break which is rare in the nanny and world yeah. um so I really I got really into it and I really kind of tapped into something that I didn't realize was there and then once the NaNoWriMo was over I had like 53,000 words of <laughs> garbage every cliche that you can think of like it starts off she's driving and she gets a, a flat tire 
and the person who helps her you know fix the flat tire is the boss who's also the love interest and there's mud and there's she was just so such a it's just it's funny for me to read it back now because um Mm. I feel like I was I was telling myself a story that I'd read a million times but I needed to like learn the ropes by doing that if that makes Mm -hmm. sense like I feel like I felt my way through my start but it wasn't a romance this is the thing it was a I I decided I wanted to write like um you know women's fiction or um chick bit I suppose you'd call it I don't really know what the difference is between those two if you could fill me on we that. talk about this all the time we yeah. are always trying to figure out yeah I see I see a lot of chiclet like when I'm looking for chiclet which is all the time it's usually I'm recommended romantic comedy and I'm like somebody yeah. please explain the yeah, like what's the difference <laughs> I don't know. I kind of think chick led is like a very British term sometimes, I wonder. But then, I don't know. Um, I'd love to know the origins of that. <laughs> I always have thought that chick has been British. Like, it started with Bridget yeah. Jones's diary, and now so, you're getting, like, Tilly Tennant like, and authors like that. Yeah. 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 So that's what I was going for. I was going for, like, a Bridget Jones-esque kind of foray into this hilarious world of nannying that actually wasn't hilarious at all. It was <laughs> a very sad, angsty story, and that turned out to be quite a theme for my writing. <laughs> kind of comedic situations that are actually really heavy, but to me, they're funny. <laughs> so, but people seem to like it, I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that, that story will never, ever, ever see the light of day. <laughs> I was gonna say, would well, you ever like? I mean, now that you you know have some titles under your belt and you found your groove, would you ever, you know, give it another try with that story, or does it serve as like kind of this template of like just first starting out, and this is the story that didn't work, and yeah, you know, something you revisit <laughs> as like, look where I've come. Yeah, how no, far I- I've come. Like I kind of love, I'm a very kind of, I like to reflect a lot on mm-hmm. kind of past work and kind of see how I got to where I'm at. And when I look at kind of the first things I ever wrote, I can see the echoes of kind of what is my, I suppose like my my id list, my trademark, my kind of the, the common core theme that I always am seeming to je- to gravitate towards. And I love connected stories. I love mm-hmm sibling stories and um that story the first story that I wrote it was about an Italian Irish entrepreneur and I suppose I'm Italian Irish and you know there was a lot of like um Irish Italian I suppose I should say <laughs> Irish first Italian second. Um, <laughs> and yeah and then he had a big family and I have a big family and I suppose those echoes of what actually really matters to me in my writing, because I think like you have to really connect with what you're writing. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I always kind of am trying to tell. I always, even if the people in my books aren't actually physically related, um, they're always related in like a found family kind of way or something, you know, like there's always connections. And I'm always looking at how to do a spin-off story because I hate just leaving. I, I can't seem to do a one-off story. <laughs> like my, editor, my editor is like, Amanda, come on, just try to do one book by itself. And I'm like, it's actually the best friend of this person. And yeah. this we're going to meet them at the end of the book. And I just love bringing characters back in. And mm. yeah, there's a world living inside me. <laughs> Always. <laughs> so did you, did you like grow up in Ireland? Did you ever spend yeah. time in Italy? Like, 
tell us yeah. all the things because those are like dream destinations. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, my, da- my dad is from kind of the midlands of Italy, I suppose, like the mountainous area in between Naples and Rome. And he moved to Ireland when he was 14. He's um, wow. a really big family. Like my dad is one of eight children. My mother is wow. one of eight children. I'm the oldest grandchild of, I forget how many at this stage because they keep reproducing. I think we're at like 27. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm going to say ballpark 30, somewhere in and around there. But we're into wow. the great grandchildren now. Um, like my children are the same age as my cousins, you know, because I'm the oldest, yeah. like a million grandchildren. Yeah. But yeah, my dad, um, he lived... He lives in Ireland still and um, my grandparents live in Ireland too but we would have gone back um, a lot of the summers um, like we would have gone over for a couple of months at a time some summers depending on how my dad's work went and um, he was able to kind of go to Italy and come back you know and we would rent a house at the beach and we would have these huge kind of family parties where all the third cousins and the second cousins and the 10th cousins would arrive out of the woodwork in their cars <laughs> and would all like sleep on the floor in this house at the beach and they're like my best memories mm-hmm. um, and we'd have like um, pasta at 12 o'clock at night there'd be someone cooking up like a gigantic pot of spaghetti and people just dancing in the accordion it was wild <laughs> and, like, we had videos it was, it was a lovely time in our family. Spaghetti like at midnight yeah. is a dream. Okay. Right? <laughs> That's actually going on my list now. I'm going to write that into a book. Right? <laughs> I feel like I could eat spaghetti every day of the week. Well, I'm all about Italian ice cream, gelato. Oh. <laughs> my favorite is Nutella. The, it's like hazelnut ice cream. Oh, oh it's delicious. <laughs> Hazelnut is like my go-to coffee flavor. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, what is your romance origin story? Like, I I saw on your site you like was you took some of your mom's Mills and Boone. So I love yes. that your mom was a romance reader. But yes. like, um, give us the backstory. <laughs> yeah. Now, my mom. When I think back to my childhood, my mom was always reading. We always had like piles of books everywhere, and. We didn't have a lot of money when we were, we were small kids. Like they were quite young parents and my dad worked like seven days a week and she would kind of go to the secondhand bookshops and just get loads of Mills and Boone. Mm. And that was her kind of escape, you know, because like TV wasn't, there wasn't a lot of TV. The internet wasn't a thing. Um, and she had three kids under the age of two. We oh <laughs> had me and then she had twins um, really young. So she would have kind of... Um, read a lot of Mills and Boons and then when we would go to Italy I actually think was the first time that I read them that's my first memory because I was um I don't know what you'd call me anti-social I was an anti-social teenager (laughs) (laughs) so I would have caught I would have always read like um you know the Jacqueline Wilson and those kind of there was always always reading like angsty teenager books and then all of a sudden I'd read everything in the house when we were on holiday one year. I think I was about 12. And I was like, can I read some of your books, mom? And she was like, no, you can't read these ones. Maybe these ones? Oh, no, you can't read this one either. You know, she was like, <laughs> <laughs> I let you read. But she gave me like the, the pink ones and mm-hmm. she gave me the medicals. And I think they were the first ones I read. But I, I, I'm so annoyed at myself. I can't remember the title of my very first. Like oh. I, I couldn't have known. Obviously, it was going to become like 
such mm-hmm. a big part of my life. But um, one book I do remember was a book that I couldn't find the title of for years. But everyone who was in the house at the time read this particular book. And it was almost like a mini book club that we had because everyone was arguing over were the hero, the hero and heroine first cousins or not. And I was like, they oh. are, they are first cousins. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So I was like, you know, all Italian hand gestures. How dare you go against what I know, you know. I read every detail. And I read it twice just to be like, hey, you are wrong. All of you are wrong. They are first cousins. <laughs> but, um, it was called Time Fuse by Penny Jordan. And I'm, I've yet to find a copy in print. But um, it was a boss secretary um, revenge romance. And oh, my God, I can still remember the imagery. Reading that book, it unlocked something in me. <laughs> like, I mean, first cousins aside, we will leave that to one side. They did not grow up together. They didn't know they were first cousins. And it probably wasn't the time. I don't know. I'm going to forget about that. <laughs> but um, the actual story was like she was this... Um, she she was like trying to get revenge against her really wealthy father who was like a, a barrister I think and then the the father didn't know that he'd hired his daughter as a secretary and she was working in this office and the broody nephew was like this alpha hole like typical late 80s early 90s like alpha hole <laughs> so would, and he would like how dare you incite this you know this intrigue in me and I'm so attracted to you and you're distracting me from my work <laughs> yeah it's your fault that I'm attracted to you so, yeah like bending her over desks with like passionate kisses and that she her, her virginal awakening you know like but what I really remember was this scene where they get she runs it off in the rain uh, you know typical English countryside she's running through the rain <laughs> yeah. running after her and he's like come back we need to talk this out and they go into this barn and it's like steamy from the rain and that's where they had their first love scene and I remember just being like 12 or 13 or I kind of know how old I was and I read this book and I just kind of lay back in the bed and I was like oh I want that so bad <laughs> <laughs> like that, that, that was me yes I, like, I yes this <laughs> someone come save me <laughs> save me in the rain oh but yeah the that's fantasy the, of it all I love it <laughs> drama. yeah that was that was a huge moment I think in my entry into romance reading and that I mean I love that like she you know she gave you the a little bit the tamer stuff, right? She never yeah. said, no, you're not going to read. And like my daughter is 12 and I am patiently waiting for the day when she's like, can I read one of your books? And I'm going to be like, sure, have it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe not the Katie Roberts straight away, but we'll get Right? There. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. And I have tons of the pink <laughs> romances. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, by the time you're 16, 17, you will be fully, fully educated on every, you know, level of kink and steam in books. But we'll start. Yes. To <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. every time we're in the car, I like I put on one of the romance podcasts I listen to and I'm just like, have at it. Like you're you're going to listen. Like I want you to be part of this world with me. <laughs> like yeah. I know you're 12 and it's probably a little bit early, but yeah. everybody that I know that reads romance has that story of like, 
reading them in middle school and yeah. them from their mom or their aunt or whatever. And I'm yep. like, I didn't have that, but I want that for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so in 2014, you won the this global competition with Harlequin, which led to resisting the Sicilian Playboy being released. Yeah. How did the idea for that story come to you? And what was the competition like? Do they still do these competitions? I have never heard of this, but it yeah. sounds fantastic. No, they don't do it anymore. Um, they now, I think they've moved on to different formats now. They do pitches and stuff. But I first heard about it in 2012. Um, I don't know how, I, I can't remember the timeline of everything, but there were lots of different little nudges for me to move towards this. Like, I, I find, like, I don't really believe in serendipity and fate, but I can't deny that there was, like, constant nudges from external sources. <laughs> um, one of the big ones I remember, so I, I, it was actually, it was through the, the NaNoWriMo forums that I found out about the Harlequin community, which was, it used to be on their website. Now they have a Facebook group, I think. Mm -hmm. And I would sometimes contribute there even now to kind of, you know, offer advice and experience to other aspiring authors. But um, uh, it used to be a book, a forum, and I forget what my name was on it. It was like, I don't know, Mama 89 or Nanny Irish something. <laughs> forum name. But um, I've seen loads of people kind of get their break and get published while I was in that. But um, one of the first things I remember was I read this um, this newspaper interview between Sharon Kendrick, the Queen Sharon Kendrick, mm -hmm. and um, someone else, and Macy Yates. And Macy Yates mm. just published at the time. And I remember it saying, you know, she's only 23, she has young children, um, it was her big break. And I kind of started looking into her and I was like, hold on, you don't need to like be trained to do this. You don't need to, you can just like have talent and write a book and they can like it and you can like get paid. Right? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> this like this like a revelation of like I can I can actually do this right now I can just make up an idea one of my weird ideas in my head and just like write it and they might like it oh my god so I started like kind of looking into that and I joined the Harlequin forums and I kind of I don't know I was back and forth about it but then I decided to enter in 2012 I came up with that idea for Sicilian Playboy in 2012 because I was actually engaged. I was planning my wedding. We'd been at this um, wedding fair. I don't know if they have those. I'm sure they do in America and Canada, like big wedding fairs where you go yeah. like all these different, you know, people going, come here for your wedding. We're perfect. The vendors oh, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was this kind of kiosk, like a, I don't know what it's like. A kiosk is a very Irish word, but uh, <laughs> like this little thing that was like, um, this woman, these two beautiful women who were advertising that they were wedding planners in Italy and um, Sicily and all these beautiful Italian destinations. And they were like, yeah, we live here. We live here all year round and we plan weddings here. And I was just like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I couldn't uh, get married in Italy at the time just because my husband's family are from kind of the countryside and they wouldn't have traveled and we wanted to have our family together. Mm -hmm. So I decided to get married in Ireland in the end. I almost made my husband elope to Las Vegas, but he said, no, Amanda, stop being crazy. I, was like, oh. <laughs> I, hate, I hate big events. I hate being the center of attention. I was mm -hmm. terrified of a wedding, but I just really wanted to like get married and have babies really quick. I was only 23. 
<laughs> I was in a rush. I was living my romance novel life, you know. He was I was like, mm-hmm. you're the hero, I'm the heroine, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> and um he was just along for the ride pretty much. And um yeah, so I went to I, I came home after the, that wedding fair and I kind of wrote down a few bits of ideas and then the, the story kind of changed and took shape, but the first chapter always stayed the same where she was climbing up the stairs, the like a like a metal outdoor fire escape of this Milan nightclub in these this heels and this perfect suit. And I could see her. She's this six foot tall, blonde, polished kind of ice princess. You know, she's like everything is perfect in her life and she's going she's determined to get this guy to do what she want do what she needs. And that kind of is what caught their attention even in 2012 um i didn't get through that that the competition um jennifer hayward won it that year she's amazing she has brilliant books um i think i forget what the her her book was called the divorce party that year 2012 oh my god it was amazing mm-hmm. and um but i got an email from an editor about 2 weeks afterwards and i had no idea that that was a big deal <laughs> i thought oh, they were no. like just sending everybody an email to be like hey do you have a book you want to send in and I was like yeah um because I literally just had those first 5,000 words written mm-hmm. and she's like do you want to send me in a full manuscript um I'd love to read through it and I was like yeah sure that of course I will um but I was like panicking because I was like oh god I didn't think anyone was ever gonna ask me to see it yeah <laughs> like, I was actually gonna get to this point right so I, I was planning my wedding I was like oh I'll think about it maybe after the wedding we got married in April and I got pregnant in May so it was like way off my radar then. I was like, oh God, you know, um, got kind of pulled into the whole pregnancy, motherhood bubble. And then in 2014, my daughter was born in the January and I really struggled with motherhood. Um, I didn't think it was going to kind of hit me as hard. And I started reading just constantly on my phone while I was breastfeeding and just the, it, the more I read I find if I'm not reading enough I'm not inspired enough to write and it was the same back then even though I hadn't been writing in so long I started reading you know I forget what I was reading all of the Harlequin Presents authors I read and I loved them all I loved the the kiss line you know Heidi Rice and Kimberly Lang I think and it was loads of kind of all those books I love those Amy Andrews I think wrote a few of them and I just got so inspired again. And I was like, I really wish I had finished that book and sent in that manuscript, you know, when I had that thought. And that would have been around kind of August. And I was really suffering with postnatal depression at the time. And then I just got like an email or something about the Harlequin forums. And I seen they were like, oh, so you think you can write? It's going again now. The, the, such, the date is, you know, 12 o'clock or something like that. 12 p.m. on this date. And I was like, oh, and it was in the back of my head. And then it was that day, the day of the last day, the cutoff day to send in your entry. And I just very quickly rewrote my hundred word pitch. And I submitted that book at like 11.59. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It was like, it wouldn't let, it wouldn't leave me. Basically. I kept being like, I'm too tired. I'm too, I'm I'm suffering with depression. I can't do this right now. I just want to read the books and not write them. And I just, something pushed me to kind of just enter it and just do it. And then, oh my God, all hell broke loose. <laughs> I, got a, I got a phone call from New York for the first time in my life. I was like, who, what, what's happening? <laughs> and the editor who's like, hey, we love your entry. You know, we'd love for you to be in the next thing, but you need to send in a full manuscript by 
six days time. <laughs> oh, wow. my goodness. Oh, I wrote 35,000 words in Holy like cow. five days. And I had like a writing partner at the time and she was like frantically reading through for, for typos because it was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're trying to finish a book in six so, days. <laughs> but it was so raw as well. Like when I reread that first draft, like it was a mess and it was frantic, but it was like really pure. There was no second yeah. guessing. And there's something really nice about that. Like when I, when I, like I'd love to get in that space right now because I feel like now knowing my books are going to be read and knowing that like, you know, you get published everywhere. There's a bit, there's like a layer of pressure that kind of you second guess yourself without even yeah. like, not second guess yourself and knowing that your editor is going to look at it and stuff. But yeah, that was like, I don't even remember that. That was like, I was in like complete hyper-focus. I, I had my mom minding my daughter and I was writing, I was thinking, I think I slept like two or three hours a night for five or six days and then I crashed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the competition itself was amazing. I really wish they would do them again because like there was such a community feel about them. Like that's one thing about like everyone on the Harlequin forums and especially at that time, like in the the old forum on, on their website and everyone was just constantly giving each other advice and like I know there are some bad parts to the romance community but I just felt so much like motivation and hope and inspiration from all these other women who were like you can do this like you're doing great and um it was lovely like when I think back it was such an exciting I, I never thought I was going to win even when I won I was like there that can't be what how did I win <laughs> yeah. how did this happen um because like the talent was amazing um and I don't think I processed it for months even afterwards because like even when I was kind of doing the final edits on that book and you know I got my very first check from Harlequin for writing a book I still was I suppose I was still um you know I was still suffering with postnatal depression even through all of that um and that doesn't go well because you win your dream career you know and um, so it took my, my kind of entry into romance writing and um, was a strange one I think because I, I don't feel like I processed it at the time I feel like I'm processing it a bit more now but at the time um it was it was just a whirlwind um but it was it was amazing <laughs> like it was such a amazing time to look back on definitely I think it's so inspiring just to hear you I mean first and foremost like postpartum depression is real. I mean, yeah. I didn't have it with my oldest, but when I had my son, my my middle child, I would just be like doing the dishes and sobbing. Yeah. And I didn't even like think initially like this is what that is. And yeah. I I do think that, you know, you said that you started reading again. I think like when we're going through that, you're you're like it's you have a new baby, so you're like looking at this this person like I should be so happy right now and I'm not and it's so easy to like lose that connection with the things that fuel you as a woman and like as a mom you have to have that fuel to like care for you know this new baby that you have and so it's it's inspiring that you did, you know, you said you like, you were reading every chance that you could get. Like, I just feel like that's, that was you trying to like, hold on to, you know, I think as moms, we just have to have those things that we do for ourselves. 
Definitely. And that, that sounds like that's what you were trying to do. Like you were trying to maintain that connection. And it really sounds like this whole time was a blur for you. Like you had some life changing stuff going on. Yeah. Like it's just wild. But like, I suppose like um, reading category romances, especially because you know, the way, like if you're in that headspace, you just consume them. Like you don't even remember the titles and the authors sometimes, but you remember the feeling that you get from them. Like these fast, little hits of just joy and hope and mm-hmm. happiness and like that that was something that started for me even as a teenager because I kind of I've, I've had mental health struggles all my life and I really remember kind of being holed up in my room when when times were really hard and just reading romances all the time and um, then I suppose when I got my Kindle and stuff like you can just read them anywhere <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy to click and you have no money anymore but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no definitely like that's something I'm so aware of as someone who writes these books now because I was that I still am that reader you know mm-hmm. yeah. who literally just can't do anything but needs to be taken away to somewhere that's not here right now and it kind of keeps your because like depression is just so heavy and it's so hard to do anything when you're depressed but just being able to kind of escape in any way you know even if it's like you're sitting on a a chair you are breastfeeding a child you can't move your dishes have piled up around you but you can still you know read these fabulous books about like I don't know fancy billionaires taking you off on their jet to (laughs) Italy (laughs) take <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, even just the past couple of, you know, 2021 and 2020, yeah. Yeah. it has been exhausting. And it's yeah. crazy because we're not really doing life like we were before. Like, I've been mm-hmm. home a lot more mm-hmm. than I have in years, but it's exhausting. And it, at the end of the day, I just want to curl up with a book and like get lost, <laughs> you know, like yeah. take that escape. So, they, they definitely have just really come through, I feel like, for us for the yeah. past couple well, of years. I think everyone's reading tastes have really changed as well throughout pandemic life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I never would have read rom-coms and contemporaries. I was always a historical kind of girl or um, paranormal or, well, actually, no, I think paranormal started with pandemic. Now that I think it of- did for <laughs> me. Yes, I love it. It made and all their flipping books about IAD I, I just kept um yeah I went down that rabbit hole hard and the blue aliens I went down that rabbit hole hard <laughs> of rabbit holes for me <laughs> panini life um but yeah the um yeah I think everyone's reading tastes have changed because it's like the same comforts don't work all the time you know you do have to be able that's the great thing about romance <laughs> there's yeah. something for everybody historical is big right now like in the the romance like blogging community people are eating historical romance up Mm -hmm. I'm like that weirdo I'm like yo I'm over here reading like these nocturne romances or (laughs) shifters and stuff because it it feels it's so weird because I think for a lot of people they're like oh I don't want to read that because it feels so similar to what we're going through I'm like Mm -hmm. I'm loving these stories of stuff that is around us every day that we can't see as humans yeah (laughs) like I'm loving it yeah because I'm like this feels like the world that we live in right now but it's it's cooler because it's witches and vampires yeah exactly you know you can fix anything you have power now you can fix everything yes yeah yeah that is the dream so when 
<laughs> Did you know, like one of the things that I find fascinating is how for a lot of like Harlequin writers who were also, you know, readers, it sounds like when you started writing, it's like you instinctively knew I'm writing a category romance. Did you know, was it, was it like a no brainer? Like I'm going to write and I'm going to write this. Or did and it just kind of happen that initially, way? Initially, no. As I said, I initially started out thinking I was going to write, you know, the next big Bridget Jones trilogy. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but then once I kind of realized that, you know, Harlequin were accepting, you know, direct um, submissions, you didn't have to get an agent. And I don't know, it's, in my head, it sounded so simple. Yeah. <laughs> I think I published it straight away and I'm just lucky that you know my journey was actually quite short in comparison and I actually think it was like I don't know I'm not trying to like minimize it or anything but it was quite fluky the way it just kind of happened you know um, <laughs> right place right time right story I don't know and um, it was meant to be definitely but once I knew once I like it was no question of any other line within Harlequin it was going to be presents for me I initially was thinking maybe it was going to be the kiss line but then I wasn't sure I'd never read a lot of them and then I read a few and I wasn't sure I thought my voice was a bit too angsty for kiss because kiss is quite light and rom-com-ish I think it was very contemporary it was they were they were aiming for kind of a younger audience I think I'm not sure what they were going for who knows what they're ever going for but um, (laughs) (laughs) the the presents was where I in in Ireland they're Mills and Boone Modern and that's what my mom always read Mm -hmm. and that's who Penny Jordan wrote for and uh, Sharon Kendrick and Abby Green and all these amazing authors that I love I loved all their books I love reading them all so I kind of sat myself I remember sitting myself down with um Sarah Morgan's Dukakis's Apprentice Mm. it was a book that I was like oh my god this book is amazing you know I need to and then she won awards for it and I was just starstruck I was like oh wow you know I want (laughs) her when I grow up and so I remember sitting down and just reading through it and like I'm very analytical anyway and I always kind of am trying to like categorize things in my head as I as I am in daily life but I sat down reading this book and I kind of in my head I was you know analyzing the beats and then I what did I do then I I was reading some craft books as well and I just kind of meticulously sat down and plotted what I would want to read for myself I knew I wanted an Irish heroine Mm -hmm. because I hadn't read a lot of them um and I knew I wanted you know certain things to be included in the book and yeah I just kind of um I, I targeted Harlequin Presents, I think. I don't think it kind of came naturally. Maybe it did. I don't know. Maybe it was like this kind of double-headed beast of a thing where it's like the analytical one and then the dreamy, creative one. I don't know. Um, but I, I, I could see it in my head. I could I could really see it, um, this finished book, definitely. I could see the story kind of unfolding. Um, I, would, I have got I to read. I'm so happy with now. <laughs> I have got to read a Sarah Morgan category romance. I oh, think they're fantastic. One of my favorite Re- books. Re- I reread every year. Uh, What's it called? Dukakis. Dukakis's Apprentice. I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to remember. Is there an apostrophe in it? But, um, God, that book is just so, um, it's just so well done. And then mm-hmm. I think there was a, another book. It was, a, it was like a Christmas one. Oh, it was so beautiful. Like, 
it's this widower and his secretary comes and I'm trying to remember the name of it I should have wrote down names of books before it came on but um yeah I love all of Sarah Morgan's books Sarah Morgan can, can do Christmas like nobody's business yeah yeah she writes singles <laughs> now and she is just the queen of Christmas um and there's a reason <laughs> exactly exactly just like yeah. just knows how to kind of write um just pure sparkly happiness on the page mm-hmm. even when it's pretty like sad dark content she can still kind of keep you above that level correct um, yeah definitely but yeah I remember that was one of the books that really made me want to kind of go for it um and do it well hopefully <laughs> <laughs> yeah sometimes I'm in the mood you mentioned craft books like sometimes I'm in the mood for non-fiction and romance at the same yeah. time yeah. and I devour like writing, like romance craft books, not because I want to write anything, but I think just as a reader, like it's just so eye opening to get these different perspectives of like the different beats and tropes and heroine's journey. And it's just, it's so interesting how much yeah. information is out there. Yeah, it really mm-hmm. is. I'm in a danger zone though, because once I start plotting, I can't stop. So I'm I'm such a nerd. Like I will sit and I'll read a craft book and I'll obsessively take notes to the point where I'm just rewriting the book in my own words. Like (laughs) read it and let it go, but I can't. I have to like rewrite it in my own words. I keep all these crazy notes. Like it's like a a mad professor's office in my house sometimes. (laughs) Everywhere with my scratchy left-handed handwriting. (laughs) My husband's like, oh, you're reading something. Speaking of nerds, Sarah and I are huge history nerds and we have so many like category romance historical questions, but we have heard that you know a lot about like random facts about category Mm -hmm. romance history. So for anyone that is new, what like cool facts do you have that you know for sure that you are willing to share? (laughs) <laughs> oh god I don't know <laughs> no pressure <laughs> you see this is the thing it might be a fact in my head but it might not be a fact in real life yeah. <laughs> um oh I don't know I'm trying to think but I'm drawing a blank like I, I'll need context <laughs> exactly well, how would you how would you describe presents or Mills and Boone modern how would you describe that series to anyone who has never read it before um, well, like my elevator pitch or like, you know, an actual writer's, you know, I don't know, pitch, but elevator pitch for me has always been think of the vibe of 007, but no women get murdered and there's less car chases. <laughs> okay. I love that. I love it. <laughs> okay. like, you know, Amanda Cinelli, TM, no women yeah. get murdered. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, that kind of suave alpha hero. Mm-hmm. And then these exotic locations, and the thing is, like that's kind of the only set area of them. Everything else can be anything else. Like yeah. the heroine can be anybody. the 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 plot can be anything, but like the only thing is like that defines us is alpha hero, mm-hmm. exotic locations, and I suppose um like a fantasy escape element to the plot. Like we don't want to be too. Yes. 
we yes. want like, that real we want to take you away somewhere we don't want you to be reading it going oh god I'm so sad reading this book and nothing yeah. <laughs> is ever going to be okay again like we want that you know like that dry feeling that you get in your throat when you're reading something really good where your heart mm-hmm. is almost kind of going oh, yes <laughs> that's what I'm trying to do every time I'm writing a book I'm trying to like make you go what's gonna happen even though you know it's a romance you know how is it how are they gonna work this out (laughs) yeah and I mean and you want that scene like you had when you were a kid of the girl and the guy going into the barn (laughs) (laughs) every single time I want if I could write a barn scene and I can't believe I haven't written one yet oh my god I haven't written (laughs) what am I doing with my life (laughs) So are there any series that you read that are like discontinued now that you are, th- you think are worth like looking into like at used bookshops or ordering from online? Yeah. Well, the kiss line, um, the kiss line was, I love that. I, I think I bought all of them. Um, there was an author, this Heidi writes, she still writes now. She writes for presents and she writes single titles. I think she wrote a dare as well. Um, she wrote this series about a brother and sister and it was the first time that I'd read a heroine it was the first time I'd read like a virginal scene that was done like with just the right amount of fantasy but realistic and I remember reading it and just writing I I don't write reviews and I remember writing this really long-winded review because like it was before I'd ever met Heidi and I'd ever kind of you know known her like and now I've gone on writers retreats with her and stuff I cringe a little I cringe a little looking back um but she's lovely but I remember writing this really long review being like this was the best sex scene I've ever read in my entire life you are amazing (laughs) I'm a nerd like I, I went to RWA for the first time in 2015 and I'm mortified at my behavior because I was just like, it's you, it's you. Every single author I've seen, I was like, I love your work. I love your books. Be my friend. Oh my god! Oh. <laughs> awesome. Can't pull it back. Like if I love something, I adore it to the point of madness. I remember I met Elizabeth Hoyt, and I was like, can I get a picture with you, please? <laughs> that is the best. That is awesome. Well, yeah, the kiss line was amazing, and um, there was another author called Amy something but she wrote oh. a book about a, a hotel events planner and there was this amazing love scene in a in an elevator of this like hotel that was under construction and I think I wrote a review about that one as well it's always the love scenes with me for some reason that's probably saying a lot about me as a person <laughs> <laughs> like if you write an amazing sex scene and I read it I have to tell you about it <laughs> I have to be like so well congratulations <laughs> well done. um but yeah the, the kiss line was amazing and then blaze i read loads of oh. um i haven't I, I think i've read a few of the dares um what was i see i've been on a big paranormal binge while dare was on their big you know putting all their books out so it's like i missed the boat but i'm gonna get them all now like i fully intend on buying every single one of them and ticking them off my obsessive little lists because i have yes. to yes like, I love Dare. (laughs) I love Dare. Sarah is like a diehard Blaze fan. So (laughs) I I miss that line so much. Yeah. Well, I wonder what they're going to do next because they need to do something to fill the void. That's (laughs) right. Do it now. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, with desire and presents, I mean, you get you get sex scenes, but Dare goes a little bit further. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So I'm like, what bit. are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? Are they going to encourage Dare and uh, desire and presents to? you know, amp up the steam or is there something else coming? I mean, well, we I readers have questions. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. presents are kind of, you have like the fantasy element of like money is no object, you know, and these yeah. like amazing, powerful families and people. And that's kind of another of the, the give. But then with, but with Dare and Blaze, the heat level was the cell, you know, and then like we were a lot more kind of down to earth kind of just normal everyday people and I think that's a big sell for me you know like it could be anybody it could be your next door neighbor you know yeah. <laughs> you don't know yeah. who it is um and like it's, a, it's all like all these different there's a reason why they're in different lines and packaged differently you know because you know what you're getting when you pick it up you know what you want and then you know what you're getting once you buy it because like that's kind of the job you have to Agreed. give readers what they want and also be you know honoring your own creativity at the same time yeah, because I, I really struggle with, and I, this is probably a question that I'll never actually get an answer to, but like I, as a dare reader, and I've read a couple of Blaze novels, um, like Sarah and I are buddy reading some Anne Marsh books with our friend Laura, who hosts another podcast. Um, and I'm just like, it kind of is unfair when you think of the sexier books being the ones that are constantly stopped like being told okay we're not doing this anymore in comparison to others when as a reader and as a blogger and somebody who tries to be active in the community I can tell you like readers want there I feel like there are millions of readers that want the steam like you said this the the steam is kind of the selling point and that is popular so Mm -hmm. knowing that it's going away and knowing that you know I when I've read my most recent blaze novel i'm like why isn't this still a thing why aren't these still being published because i can see what my friends are reading and what they're looking for and though it's those books and you want to push those books into their Mm -hmm. hands and it's it's just not available i mean you gotta look for what you can on thrift books or ebay you know and it's just it's just kind of not fair to not see those well i have a theory i have a theory Okay. <laughs> We'd love to hear it. The theory is like historically, um, kind of presents and desire and a lot of the lines would have been a lot more conservative and would have been a lot more marketed towards a, a conservative audience, I suppose. That's where the, the kind of the sell was that you know, the guidelines that the authors might have had were, you know, you can't have maybe like, you know, oral sex on a scene or you can't have any open door in this line at all. And Mm -hmm. I think the guidelines used to be a lot stronger because of the readership, because like, I think that's the thing about romance, you know, romance is always moving with society and moving with societal norms. And I think Harlequin have recognized that, you know, the expectations of the readers aren't as black and white as they used to be. And that readers, you know, will accept kind of a broader range of sexuality in a book, you know, and there, like, there's always going to be a small pocket of readers who are horrified at, I don't know, oral sex or a non-virgin heroine or mm-hmm. something like that. There's always going to be those people. 
But I think from a majority standpoint, what I see being a romance reader who's quite active in like romance reading forums and communities is, you know, those, that's not the majority anymore. Like I think women and readers and people who read romance in general are more accepting of all the different kind of types of layers of steam in books. Yeah. And my theory is that they're just going to start having those ranges of steam within the actual mm. setting of the books, you know, where the, the cell is not going to be about the heat level. It's going to be that, you know, desires like that American, um, I think all the desires are set in, in North America. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. And then presents is like, gives you the more European and global appeal. Mm -hmm. And then they're, I, I think maybe they're going to, maybe they'll create something new or maybe they're just going to kind of increase the steam within they're going to mm -hmm. loosen the, the bounds that we are kind of held to I think yeah <laughs> that as an author um you know there's things that I've heard other authors say maybe 10 years ago because I'm only published um seven years now and I've, I've heard people say you know 10 15 20 years ago the things that they were told you know we, we can't do we can't write this whereas now th those rules aren't in place and a lot of the, the a lot of those rules aren't in place anymore Mm -hmm. and that's great like that's like that just makes me yeah. so much more free because I'm quite a liberal person I'm quite like I want <laughs> anything I want to be able to write you know aliens and vampires and whatever I want and um, you know mm -hmm. whatever whether I'm going to self-publish or whatever but within Harlequin Presents I know that like I have my my loose guidelines that are on the outside mm -hmm. but I don't like to be told Amanda you can't write this particular sex scene or and I haven't had that yet which is great like I've I've written the stories that honor the characters that I create and I think if I was to be told you know no you need to cut that out I would have a problem with that <laughs> <laughs> me as a person and that would get me into trouble probably as an author I need to be a bit more accepting of the bounds of you know the line but I'm lucky enough that I feel like they're very I feel like they've relaxed a lot um, based on the readership so that's my theory yeah um, and I think they're seeing that reflected in the market and they have all their marketing gurus and stuff so mm -hmm. I'm trying to trust them that they know what they're doing even though <laughs> on the inside I'm like what are you doing there's <laughs> like the I'm trying to trust them too but I'm just I have to say the fact that I cannot buy Dare in paperback in the states really <laughs> bothers me and <laughs> somebody even, and even... <laughs> Even back in the day when Blaze was still around, you couldn't buy those at your big box store or your, your grocery store or your pharmacy. I don't know if it's the same across the pond, but you just, you couldn't find them in the stores. And I think that that, in my opinion, was a big downfall for them. Yeah. Well, at the moment in stores, it's all historicals here. Even mm -hmm. the books, um, they have us in a double, like a two-in-one in, one in yeah. the UK and Ireland. And we used to have a, a single book on the shelf. So I think shelf space um, in like the age of digital... Mm. publishing shelf space is kind of a universal issue for every publishing house at the moment I sound like I work for Harlequin which I suppose I do <laughs> I'm not like a business professional but um yeah no I think that's a big factor for them um shelf mm -hmm. space and kind of what they're able to get you know and what sells best and I hate that that's a part of it that it's like you can't just put everything up so everyone can pick. And even if, you, you know, like there should be something up for everybody. But that's all the, for sure. people, the fans that are getting their books. So we'll let them have their day. We should yeah. Have <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <I suppose. laughs> 
my day will come yeah, I mean, aliens that, that's <laughs> kind of a I guess that's one of the questions that I've always had was just what what prioritize how does this get prioritized over that yeah. is it a trend of okay historical's big right now so you're gonna see tons of historical yeah. but yeah like but also like contemporary readers who want a little bit of a steam level are just like not even yeah. like considered you know so yeah. you have to go elsewhere to find your book and I'm just like every time mm -hmm. I'm in Walmart I'm like well this isn't fair <laughs> <laughs> I want to be able, you yeah. know, so, I mean, even like I can't get romance, the romance line. I don't know what that's called overseas, but like pink, not being able to girls. get that one. I think it's called romance or true love. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, okay. Because I've seen true, true love on a book from like, I think Mills and Boone posted and I was like, what is the equivalent of that here? In the yeah. States? That's, I think it's our special editions on this side. I wonder. Yeah. Okay. But I'm not okay. absolutely certain. So at the age of 31, Amanda, you did an incredible, incredibly brave thing. You took matters into your hands and you got diagnosed with autism. Yeah. And you did an interview with Evoke Magazine and you mentioned that now being able to write full time provides the work-life balance that you as an autistic woman needs. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that? Yeah, I suppose like um employment is a huge thing in the autistic community um because kind of the working world in general is not built for autistic people at all and um, because you know most companies want you to have want you to fit into the slot you know they don't want to have to make individual concessions for individual needs um, and I would have always struggled with work and um, like I said I, I I pursued a degree in fashion design um, and I dropped out just before the end of the second year and it was only a three-year degree but it's um when you're autistic and especially if you're undiagnosed um your kind of internal anxiety and stress levels are just constantly high and I would have struggled all through primary school all through kind of secondary school or high school whatever it's uh, high school and college was like worse than that for some reason because it was such a big change and there's so many different levels of pressure um, and then I would have job hopped and I worked in a call center which was her a horrendous experience for me mm. but I think it's a horrendous experience for neurotypical people as well and um, you're on a headset and you're in this office full of like a million people and then they brought in hot desking and I hate hot desking I don't know what they call that across the pond but it's like you know you go in and you just you grab any desk that's free yes yeah and that's I'm, pretty much what it's like, called yeah I'm a very possessive person and I need yep. my spot I'm like you know like I don't want to be stereotypical but Sheldon like my spot is my spot is my spot yeah <laughs> and so I started like you know I had my spot and then they were like hot desking and I was like oh no oh no 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 like different desk different side of the room I'm very sensitive to temperature I'm very sensitive to noise I'm like I am I am an employer's nightmare because I'm like I need this and I need this and I need this um you know and I can be humorous about it now because like looking back on it um you know it, it is funny to look back on something but I suppose at the time like I lasted in the job for like two years but it was just the, the stress, like the weight gain that I had from being so miserable and just like so under pressure every day. But now I work from home and um, I have my three girls are in like kind of a form of like we have like 
school the oldest is in school and then she goes to an after school and then the two youngest are in a crash like a daycare and I can collect them earlier if I need to if I'm not working too much on a day or I can collect them later if I'm on a deadline and then like I have my spot I have my home my my temperature is the same my my sound is the same and these are the things that are really important like from speaking to people now in the autistic community these are really important things to most autistic people that things are familiar and safe mm-hmm. because when you're so sensitive to the entire world everything can feel unsafe sometimes because you're always it's almost like a, like you're tensing up like you're waiting for the punch or you're waiting for something you know um and that's what it feels like when you have like sensory sensitivities but um I didn't know I was autistic um I never it was never mentioned um I only figure I only kind of started to figure it out when one of my younger cousins was diagnosed and my auntie was kind of talking about things that her daughter was experiencing and she wasn't gently nudging and being like hey do you remember you did this hey oh, well wow. you remember you did that because she kind of you know she recognized it but she didn't want to outright be like you're autistic <laughs> yeah yeah but if someone says that to you your first instinct is to go what are you talking about? I know who I am as a person, you know, I'm 30 for God's sake. Um, but then I started looking into it and it was a very strange couple of years because I like, it took me literally two years to process it. Um, and I had like numerous panic attacks and numerous, mm. um, crises of, you know, existential crisis, <laughs> crises. Um, just because I thought I knew who I was and I thought I was just this, you know, slightly quirky, socially inept um very highly sensitive person and then all of a sudden it's like no you're actually exactly like every other one of these people in this particular box Amanda and um, you're not actually that unique at all <laughs> you're quite similar <laughs> to them. and me as a person I'm like oh, how dare you I'm so unique um but, <laughs> but it was like um there's so much to it because like you know it's hard like um my parents wouldn't have known my parents always knew that there was something you know extra sensitive about me and I was brought to see counsellors and they always tried to help you know my mom especially she always recognized that I was struggling just I was just always on like life was just always on hard mode for me and I never knew why and I think you internalize that when you don't know why and you kind of just go to the guilt the shame the feeling like you are dysfunctional like there's something wrong with you and then my daughter started to show these signs when she was about she was always quite wild she was always quite high energy and people would always kind of comment on how kind of she was like this whirlwind we used to call her lady tornado because she'd come into a room and there was just no concentration there was just no it was just like ah Tasmanian devil you know wrecking the place and it was cute when she was three but not so much when she was in like school at age five you know not able to sit in a chair so when she was six her teacher kind of had a chat with us and said we think there might be something else going on Um, and I said I think we do I think we think that too and we thought it was ADHD so we went for I went for like a one hour one-off session with a, a psychologist to just kind of talk through my concerns and I I'm the type of person if I've done my research I think I know the answer and I'm just asking you for like a second opinion yeah. <laughs> so I went in being like yeah no my daughter's shown all the signs of ADHD I'm going to list them for you and I had my piece of paper with my list of traits 
And she was like, okay, thank you so much for that. You know, I'm just going to hold my doctorate over here on the wall for a second. Yeah. And And I was like, okay, the vibe changed in the room really quick. And she was like, "Uh, your daughter's shown all the signs of autism, what would have been known as Asperger's. Now it's all just autism. Mm -hmm. And I was like, my first instinct was, oh, no, no, like she's really sociable. She has loads of friends. No, no, you're wrong. And I left that appointment, got on the phone to my husband, and I was like, they're trying to extort money out of me. They think that she's <laughs> and extra money for an extra assessment. Like, this is just a money racket. But then I kind of calmed myself down, and we sat and we talked together, and we were like, okay, we're going to – we have to actually – accept that they see this we actually didn't think so she went through the assessment process and I fully thought that she was going to be diagnosed with ADHD because I was so uneducated I had no idea even though someone had mentioned to me two years before that I possibly might also be on the autism expect the autism spectrum I hadn't um I don't think I'd processed it but I suppose that's kind of a, one of my traits of autism um I'm quite a, I take time to process things. And if it doesn't fit in my head, like I have to categorize everything in my head. And if there's nowhere to fit it, it just kind of floats on the outside. It can't get in. You know, I'm like, nope, no entry. You shall not pass. Um, so she got diagnosed in March of 2020. And then the world went into lockdown. That was super fun. While we were trying mm. to access supports and stuff. But I got like an intense education on the spectrum the autistic spectrum and what it actually is because what I believed autism was was what my cousin was like because he is what would be kind of the classic representation of what autism would have been stereotypically in the media and stuff you know the the, um, struggles with verbal communication Mm -hmm. and kind of very obvious physical stims and that kind of thing Um, and then I began to kind of research more and listen more and talk to people who were actually autistic who were in the community and I was just like oh my god I have to like I am autistic I have to go for an assessment Uh, I kind of brought my daughter for her assessment and then in 10 years time she turns around and says to me why didn't you go you know (laughs) why don't you kind of why aren't you a part of this kind of accepting yourself for what you are when I'm trying to help her accept herself for who she is so I booked my appointment and I still had that worry in the back of my head of I'm inventing all of this. This is not real. You're actually just crazy. You know, all the horrible things that I'd internalized in the first 30 years of my life. You're just over the top. You're just, you know, anxious. You're all these things. Um, and then actually going through the assessment process was just this really heavy but beautiful thing because the psychologist kind of put it to me as, you know, you have struggled, you've survived so far. And like your your resilience and your strengths have helped you to survive against the odds when every day has been like this swimming against the tide, basically, is what it feels like. Um, because the world's not built for people who are so extremely sensitive to it. And you do end up just hiding in your house a lot of the time. That's kind of how a lot of my life went, hiding in my house. So the pandemic is not very different for me. <laughs> but I kind of <laughs> but, but that's yeah. amazing that that doc, you know, that that is true. You spent most of your like your life at this point like surviving, not yeah. knowing 
And now you're able to navigate the world and like the rest of your life as someone who knows. And that's like really amazing and inspiring when you think about it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. It's a process. We're we're all getting there. But I think as a parent, it's really helpful for me. Because like my daughter is seven, she's starting to get into like everyone, you know, girls at seven, bitchy fighting and <laughs> lovely, intricate social things, social norms of being a seven-year-old girl. And um, she's starting to go through all of that now. And at, like on one hand, I'm second guessing myself because my social skills are like in person, especially in groups. And um, I really struggle like one-on-one, I can kind of pass myself off. But if it's in a group, I will just kind of shrink back and listen more than I will speak because I'm just afraid of missing something or misinterpreting. I don't get jokes sometimes. I don't understand other people's mm-hmm. humor, stuff like that. Um, I don't understand the context of what people say sometimes. Um, or if I'm put on the, you know, them kind of things. But with her, I can kind of give her advice. And we talk about, you know, what it means to be autistic. And we talk about, you know, the strengths of being autistic and as well as the challenges well how we overcome our challenges and whenever she has a problem I talk about systems and I talk about you know processes and we talk very adult like but that's we're on that same level like my husband Mm -hmm. was sit and listen to us talking and he just kind of was like what what is going on here I feel like I'm so on the outside of some sort of little club and you like (laughs) whispering about life behind my back but it's really nice to have that connection Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, it's really nice to have that connection with her, especially. Oh. So you kind of hinted, like you let us know your upcoming series. We're going to see some of that. So can you, yeah. whatever you can share, can you share that with us? Like what's to come and how you're incorporating that inclusion? Because I, I will say like, diversity is always being talked about in the romance community and as the book community as a whole, but like having friends that have different like chronic illnesses or Mm -hmm. like, you know, different like neurodiversity, like that is still something that people are like, we want to see more of and we're not seeing. So what do you, what do you have coming out that you can talk about? Yeah. So I have um, a trilogy that I'm in the middle of. The first book is out in two months I think or yeah it's a June release and that's called Stolen in Her Wedding Gown and all of these books are based on Greek myths retellings so and like some of them would be more recognizable and then some of them are a bit more kind of I don't know painted over with creative license because <laughs> 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 we can't have as much of the Greek myths with all the the incest and the killing and you know that's not very like so no. I have to take some artistic license there <laughs> but um my my aim with this series was to have one neurodiverse character that was my first thing because I had a I had an autistic heroine that popped into my head and I was trying to write her into a story somewhere because she was really really coming into my head that's how my books kind of tend to come in stages I don't usually have a full book that just comes into my head I usually start with one character and I'll build them into a story um but this this series the first book wasn't meant to be I I didn't aim for all three books to have kind of themes of neurodiversity woven through them but that's how it's ended up because I wanted to normalize um I wanted to normalize things like taking medication for anxiety and 
struggling with a panic attack as just something that happens in your normal day-to-day life Mm -hmm. and it's not this big dramatic plot point it's just something that you've learned like I wanted to show a character who has high functioning anxiety or whatever I don't like functioning terms but a character who has clinical anxiety as a part of their life and who struggles day-to-day but has learned systems of coping um, so with the first book, that's that's all I was aiming for. But then as I wrote this character, I realized that she didn't realize that she was neurodiverse in some way. Um, and that was a strange thing to happen when you was writing a book. Mm-hmm. And then in, in the second book, um, I wanted, but the second book is my autistic heroine. And um, I wanted to show a representation of autism from someone who had been diagnosed um, kind of younger mm-hmm. and who had accepted their autism more and was part of a family where autism was a norm and autism was not the entirety of the plot. Um, that was a big kind of deal for me, that her neurodiversity wasn't a hook or you know a selling point or whatever. It was just who she was. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that book is just about to be handed in and I really hope I pulled it off but it's um, <laughs> I really hope. it's so nerve-wracking um, and I'm still going to have someone else kind of read it um, to kind of look over you know terminology and stuff because there's a she ha- she's also dyspraxic and I'm not dyspraxic so I wanted to have someone look over it who is dyspraxic dyspraxia okay. and then the third book the heroine um, has ADHD and dyslexia so all three books, you know, that theme is really strong. And I didn't set out with that intent, that intent, but I suppose this is the first series that I've written since my diagnosis. So probably makes sense. Okay. Yep. Yeah. But, um, yep, for sure. They were going to be this kind of way. Well, the, the overall theme of the three books is that um, these are the, the three heroes are half brothers and there is an inheritance on the line mm-hmm. and they're all trying to take it for various nefarious reasons mm-hmm. they're all actually quite villainous heroes which i like i've kind of got like three villainous bad boy heroes um which i love because they're my favorite <laughs> yeah i'm reading the arc that you sent of um the, the first book stolen in her wedding gown and eros is like <laughs> he's so he. I don't even want to say he's bad because like, it sounds like he's rescuing her from his brother um, who sounds a little bit worse, (laughs) but he's like, (laughs) there's something about cocky that, that sometimes is so sexy. And he's just like, I'm not here to ruin your wedding princess. I'm here to ruin you. (laughs) I was like, I'm done. I love it. (laughs) He's a silky hero. Yeah, he's definitely like he's up for his own gains definitely like, mm-hmm. all about himself mm-hmm. um but I like exploring the different kinds of like a bad boy hero because I don't think every bad boy is the same I'm like a bad boy connoisseur I suppose I like to collect them the bad boy collector yeah, yeah. yeah I love it um, so uh, Sarah are you ready to do some fill in the sentence absolutely Okay, um, so she's she's gonna do these. Don't think too too crazy about them. Just <laughs> whatever comes to mind. When I'm not writing, I'm um watching Netflix. <laughs> Excellent answer. Or Disney Star Plus. 
Nice. <laughs> Disney Star, is that what it's called? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Um, my most my most comfortable attire is high-waisted leggings and some form of rock band or comic book t-shirt that belongs to my husband that I have stolen. Because I acquired love it. I wear everything. I wasted like this is yours. The good one. Love it. Love it. Um one movie I'll never stop watching is Ooh, Sweet Home Alabama. Mm. Oh, with Reese Witherspoon. Oh, I love that one. Again, with the bride, the runaway bride. Why? Yep. Obsessed with a runaway bride. It's a surprise I didn't run away from my own wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. What do you want to kiss me for? I can kiss that was whenever sweet. I want. Know that line? <laughs> what do you want to marry me for? So I can kiss you whenever yeah, I want. Yeah. Just love exactly. that. Childhood sweetheart exactly. thing. Oh, yeah. So sweet. Um, teenage me dreamed of being. Um, a fashion designer. There you go. That's a wedding, awesome. a wedding dress fashion designer, to be specific. Yes, yes. <laughs> you and weddings. It's a, it's a vibe. Yeah, it's a thing. Oh, it's a thing. I feel like I'm discovering myself on this podcast. <laughs> um, one hill I will wholeheartedly die on is um that the world is not equipped for left-handed people. And that even a minority that deserves to have left-handed things everywhere. I'm in danger of being killed by tin openers and cattle. <laughs> Abby Green will follow me on this one because she's also a fellow lefty. There's so many lefties in the romance writing community because we are That's beautiful funny. souls and we deserve more. <laughs> <laughs> left hands and everything unite. There's a lot of them in my family. Yeah, my five-year-old's a lefty, and I just, I yeah. watch him, and I'm, like, so in awe of how uncomfortable it looks for him to do things. Yeah, my father grew up in a in a world where they were tried to be trained to not be left-handed, and yeah. I can still see him writing with his hand completely almost crooked in a C. Mm. So, you know what I mean? Like, and I just think it's so yeah. different now, but you are right. It's not equipped for left-handed people. My mom's a lefty, and... And, and my grandma like actually came to her school one day, I think to check on her and they, she had no idea, but they were actually like tying her hand, her left hand yeah. behind her back to try to get her to write right-handed. And she yeah. lost yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> that was a thing here. Or they used to smash people's hands with like a yes. rubber and stuff. Yeah. Yep. The left yeah, hand the devil or whatever they call it. Oh, <laughs> I'll take horrible. it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the last book that I couldn't put down was, um, what was it? It's the last book of the Brown Sisters trilogy. I got an- oh Evie, yeah Eve Brown. I'm yes. listening to Chloe's story on audiobook, and I'm like swooning over red all over again. Oh, I know, I know. Like a big tall ginger hero, big beard. <laughs> so I like to think of him as my red. But um, <laughs> the Eve story was just. It was so special to me. I actually got the opportunity to get an ARC um, because mm. they were looking for autistic reviewers. From, so okay. to review it from the point of view of someone who is also autistic. 
and oh, it was just it's such a well written story and it's such a nice kind of conclusion for that trilogy as well mm-hmm. I love all three of, of the books I don't know which one I love more to be honest like <laughs> over my children as you read each one it's like I love this one more oh no now I love this one I more just, yeah. I love the way she writes like I yes. love, also sent her a really cringy email or a DM on Twitter of like I love you so much Talia Hibbert be my friend um, <laughs> and some of my favorite scenes are when the three sisters are together there's just something about in those books i love gigi i love the yes he's just the best it does yes the audiobook Uh is fantastic the audiobook is like it's um it's the woman who plays the aunt in bridgerton her name is adujo i think her name is yes 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 i know who you're talking about plays lady danbury in bridgerton yes fantastic her her audio voice is just I, I I need to buy all three books. I've only got the first one so far and I nearly finished listening to it. And oh, it's just like I'm doing the dishes and I'm like, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, the soundtrack of my Love life. It. Um, okay, some rapid fire. Uh, one of the loves of your life is? My husband, I suppose. Can I say Excellent him? answer. You can. I, I mean, can. we've heard husbands, we've heard pasta, we've heard it all. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've heard him since I was 18, so. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Love. Um, what's your favorite trope to read? Um, enemies to lovers. But if there is a faded mates trope in there, also I'll take that. I just love, and if it's paranormal, I'll also take that even more. Um, I just love, I love acclaiming. I love acclaiming on paranormal style. <laughs> you're mine because you're destined to be mine. And she's like, no, I hate you. And he's like, I don't care. Get on my shoulder. I'm taking you off into the wilderness for the more wearable. That whole thing. That's my, awesome. my kink. Werewolf, <laughs> <laughs> billionaire, whatever type of alpha we're going for. <laughs> there you go. Let's put it in my veins. <laughs> um, you decide you want takeaway for dinner. Where are you ordering from and what do you order? I order the same food every time. So that's an easy one. Chinese spring rolls, vegetable spring rolls to start. Then um, chicken, black pepper with fried rice mm. and some prawn crackers. And that's me. And a diet coke. Yum. Because I'm Yum. so healthy. Sarah, right. I love how you adopted the takeaway. The takeaway? Yeah, see? <laughs> we were just chatting about that yesterday because we say takeout here. And I'm like, takeaway yeah. sounds so much better. It does. <laughs> Take me away in your food. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, one category romance line I'd like to see make a comeeback is... Kiss. I feel like this. Yeah, I was gonna say she's gonna say kiss. Yeah, yeah. Says So I am gonna fight for kiss. I'm gonna stand on that. I agree. Thing, and I'm gonna wave my I flag. And I, I have a bunch of them on my shelf to read. They're so good. Um, are you a morning person or a night owl? Uh, definitely a morning person. I think. Um, I like to start my day the same way every day. I have my routine, mm-hmm. and if that has changed, I become a demon. <laughs> 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 an actual demon <laughs> um, and what's one thing you like within arm's reach while writing it's a really bad one but it's my phone because That's I fine. have a problem hi I'm Amanda and I have a problem with my phone <laughs> TikTok is like the devil right now TikTok is, t- is just sucking my productivity hours 
Oh no. <laughs> it's it's addicting. Okay. I yep. watch and my sister will send me TikTok videos at like two o'clock in the morning when she uh, can't sleep of like this doctor popping pimples or giving skincare oh. advice. And I'm like, everything is literally on there. Book talk yeah. is crazy. Cooking videos, dancing videos. It's my, all on there. And it's so short. Show me like TikTok drama, basically, like all these horrible cheating wives and husbands and I'm just lapping it all up I'm like yeah, this is better than a soap opera you know, and then <laughs> cooking videos you know like this mm-hmm. algorithm is just dangerous it needs to be <laughs> yeah. they're just reading my mind and they're sucking me in and I can't put the phone down and my yep. is like hey Amanda is that book ready and I'm like yep 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 just a minute. Just a minute. I'm watching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> earwax removal. That's such a weird thing to be watching at 2 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> it is out there. Is now? Like, is this life? Is this my life? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, lastly, I have to ask I mean, mm-hmm. now that we know you love paranormal would you ever write a paranormal romance oh i have so many plots like my google drive is just full of it's like a plot graveyard because i have all these things but i I actually have a series that i'm loosely working on i've talked to a couple of people about it and i actually want to write like historical paranormal but with a neurodiverse twist but i love kind of um I love that kind of speculative fiction angle that people take on, you know, I don't know what you'd call it, like using autism as like a superpower oh, or whatever you want to call it. But yeah. I really want to, um, yeah, I want to kind of mash up all my favorite things into one little ball of creativity and do something with it. But I have to get on schedule with my presents because I am just the messiest late author mm-hmm. in the world. <laughs> I miss my deadlines <laughs> and I um once I get a handle on them I'll definitely be writing paranormal definitely and probably um contemporary if I get a chance like something nice. different something that's not just billionaires okay. um I have other things that I have but I have millions of plot ideas I'm constantly <laughs> fantastic coming with so if you went to your editor right and you were yeah. like okay, I have an idea for a present. Could Like, could you blend those worlds? Like, hey, I want to put, because I can imagine a very glamorous presents novel with like the, like the travel escape and the gorgeous dresses. But yeah. then like, but the heroes may be a shifter alpha. Yeah. Or a vampire or something. Could those worlds blend? Like, what do you think your editor would say? Like, that's what it's going to be, basically, whenever I do mm-hmm. actually say <laughs> You hear, you heard it here, friends. You yeah, heard it right? here. <laughs> <laughs> style book with just vampires and shifters, and oh. I don't know. But like, so presents itself, they wouldn't take it. But like, um, they the Harlequin editors do take pitches for other lines and for single titles, and they're great for developing authors. They ask you yeah. what your plans are. They ask you what your aspirations are all the time, and kind That's of awesome. they do a check in every year of like your career. What you hope for for your career like they are actually really good to um write for they really are i've had, I've awesome. had nothing but good things so far and i've been a difficult awesome. author because i keep getting pregnant <laughs> and i keep <laughs> <laughs> so like between popping out babies and you know just mental breakdowns um, and <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> <they're> like, <laughs> like, 
I can I can say nothing but good things about their patients. Fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. I mean, it's morning time here, so thank you for letting us start our day off with yes, you. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Where online can people follow you and keep up with what you have going on? Um, I'm on Instagram mostly and Twitter. And I'm terrible at updating my website, but definitely Instagram. On my, I'm, I post on my stories every day, most of the time. And then I'm on Twitter. And then, yeah, just shoot me a DM or whatever. Awesome. Yep. Well, all of your information will be listed in the description box. And again, you said the first book for the new trilogy is a June release? Yeah. Okay. Spoiling all right. Yeah. So we will have a link to that as well. I'm sure it's like, it's, it's gotta be available for pre-order at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we are so excited. Thank you again for chatting with us. Thank you.